All right, welcome back to another episode of the Goalpost. And the Montreal Alouettes have taken down the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and busted a dynasty in the process. Montreal wanted it, Winnipeg expected it. And it's the Alouettes coming away 28 to 24 for the 110th Grey Cup. Patrick, who had that on their bingo card? Not many. Uh, not to brag, though, I did have the Owls money line, so I might have been one of those people, but it was a flyer pick. But yes, David has beaten Goliath, and more, oh, my oh my, did Cody Fajardo prove so many people wrong, including myself, I think maybe you too. He he had probably the best game of his career. Um, I saw Malcolm t- Malcolm Kelly had a great tweet as well. He was chased out of Saskatchewan because like he wasn't a winner. And then he he like gets his great cup, kind of completes his, I guess, career really. Like that's a career defining game for him. I feel like a lot of people will have this game in their mind when they think of Cody Fajardo. And yeah, the the Alouettes came through in a in thrilling fashion to get the win 28-24. And what a game it was. Fajardo walks away with the Great Cup MVP. He goes 21 for 26, 296 yards, three touchdowns in an interception absolutely slinging the ball. I think that he figured out very early on that his receivers were good enough against Winnipeg to give them 50-50 balls. Anthony Mack was a monster. They could not stop him. He was making one-handed catches. And overall, this is something that I've never seen before in football is essentially two perfect games as an underdog in a row. Like you're led by this incredible Alouette's defense. You play two like from game plan to intensity to how they played the game top to bottom, those were two perfect road games and two perfect games against an absolute monster of an opponent. I, I've never seen anything like it. And it they led from the front with the defense. They were punching Winnipeg in the mouth all night. And like I said it earlier, Winnipeg really seemed to expect that game. They had conservative play calling. They thought that after it was working early with Oliveira, that they would be able to kind of rely on that script all night. And then Winnipeg goes out and only gets seven points in the second half. That's not enough to get it done, obviously. Um, but it, it it felt like the entire game kind of felt exactly like the Eastern Conference final. Maybe not to like the same degree of uh, mistakes on, on Winnipeg's side, but costly turnovers at inopportune times for them. And that's how Montreal kind of won this game, plus with Cody Fajardo and the wide receivers getting it done. But it's really this defense that's bend but don't break. And they rely off getting these turnovers and the the interception in the end zone, the fumble after a huge play by Kenny Lawler, like the timing of those turnovers was huge. And, you know, they were I thought they were in big trouble when they were at the end of the first half when they got stopped on the third and goal. I kind of thought that was the game. I think you I you had too. a tweet as well, where it's like, this is probably going to come back to bite them. But it didn't, man. Like this team seems so determined and it just had, they had that like underdog mentality. And what like, we kind of mentioned it on the last pod, but I don't think we gave it enough like attention. Montreal was the hottest team in the CFL and they just showed it. They won seven in a row to win the Grey Cup. And like that shows like when you're playing meaningful football and having to like, play in these intense games like it's easier to like get up and go out and just keep doing it and keep winning these games yeah Yeah. and Winnipeg kind of got hit in the mouth uh 
Zach Claros was sacked four times. I thought Fajardo was going to be the one kind of just standing there getting hit all game, but no, it was the other way around. And once again, defense wins championships and like it's very cliche, but time and time again, it holds up. Yeah. Marc-Antoine, Ducroix, uh, Sankey, Lemon, like they, Ben don't break was the perfect way to put it because there were drives where Winnipeg looked like they were getting everything they wanted on the ground. And then all of a sudden it would just stop up. It would dry up. Montreal would have a big play on first down and then sack them or something on second down. And then all of a sudden they were punting the ball. I think that came out most clearly at the very end of the game. Winnipeg gets the ball with three minutes and 12 seconds left up a field goal. And that's an eternity in the CFL if you don't know how to manage it properly. And they didn't. They tried a quick run up the gut with Oliveira. It didn't work. They were forced to pass on second down and they got sacked. And then Fajardo goes and leads a seven play, 83 yard drive for a TD. Screw the field goal to tie it. We're going to win this thing. I was there. I turned to my dad. I said, they're not going for a field goal here. They get down to a third and eight, I want to say it was third and seven i think it was they they had it as like a third and five third and six but it was like the second down play was like second and 18 yes so fajardo scrambles on second and 18 gets it down to this third down play and then tosses up a 50 50 ball on a man on man to tyson philpot who comes down with it or no sorry that one wasn't philpot that was um spiker that was spiker who caught it on third down who then sets up Philpot, the most outstanding Canadian in the end zone with 11 seconds left to give Montreal's first great cup since 2010. And most crazy, this was an off season last year where they were taken over financially by the league before they could be sold. It was, there were a million questions. They were ranked last on third down nations preseason rankings coming into this year. And Montreal turns it around and absolutely stuns people with a new owner and their first Grey Cup in 13 years. I think this is going to be huge for football in Montreal. I think so too. And a lot of the things you just said were reiterated in William Steinbach's post-game interview. He was so passionate. It was like nobody believed in us. You know, like we had to go walk kilometers to practice. Basically, like just saying it's like a under underfunded like high school football team is kind of what it sounded like but it's like these are professional football players and they they took that personally and they use it as motivation and you could kind of see like all the post-game interviews from this Al's team were straight from the heart as raw as it can get and it like it showed how much it meant to them and how much more they kind of wanted this like it almost felt like Winnipeg was too comfortable like they're always in the great cup they've been here before they didn't have that same like fu mentality kind of and like we're gonna stick it to them and that's kind of how much y'all got it done and going back to that Fajardo last drive amazing play by him on the scramble I thought there because he was he should have been sacked on the second and 18 escapes scrambles to third and five they get the first down then get the touchdown but on that uh first down play it was like 20 seconds left in the game they're, they're in field goal range. I think they're just outside the 20. And why is Winnipeg playing man-on-man with no safety help like that? Dude, and and it was one of their best players. Jefferson was the guy covering him. So you have, like, your best DB covering him. But you're so right. Like, especially with a end zone threat like that, you get beat like that. He, all he's got to do is put it in a window for him, which is exactly what he did. And he knew he would come down with it. 
You're so right there. It was a complete breakdown. Yeah, like it's the game is probably going to overtime right now. You're if you're Winnipeg, you go, okay, we just can't allow prevent. a touchdown. Yes, yeah. exactly. You go into maybe not full on prevent, but some some form Something. of prevent defense. And like it's because I think it was 20 seconds left. I don't think Montreal had any timeouts. So if they did get a first down, like clock stops, you're gonna have to get your field goal unit out there, and it probably would have been a, a bit of a mad scramble. Yeah. But no, Fajardo went straight to the end zone, found his one-on-one, found his guy, got the matchup, and 11 seconds left. I was, my jaw was on the floor. So I'm like, that seems like something Montreal would make the error from because they're not as experienced. But no, it was the experienced team making the inexperienced move at the wrong time. And O'Shea got out coached in this game. Like clearly, no doubt about it, Mass was the better coach and he's looking like the coach of the year right now. He... I've never seen like a better game plan really be executed over two games. Obviously, the Argos game, they had a lot of help. But from top to bottom going into this game, you're facing a team that has been there for the last four years. Kalaros is the first CFL QB to start in four straight Grey Cups. This is the team that's been there and done it. And they looked like the team that was completely inexperienced. Montreal came in with a game plan and absolutely followed it to a T. I got to ask you, like, does this... Does this bust the Winnipeg dynasty? Like, obviously, let's take out next year and what might happen. But from a legacy standpoint, what do you look back on Winnipeg from these years now? My initial thought is two back-to-back heartbreaking losses. Really, like, that's what sticks out more in my mind than them winning back-to-back, oh, three and four years ago now. It's like, what is fresh in my mind is... You know, you get beat by a backup quarterback coming in late last year. You get beat by a team who, like you said, like some people had last in preseason rankings. I don't know. Like, I don't want to like, you don't want to take away too much from them because no, not many teams go to the great cup four years in a row, but it also does kind of have like a Buffalo bills feel to it. These past two years where you have nothing to show for it, right? Like it's, it's too bad. And I still think many of these blue bombers are going to be hall of famers and have great careers and everyone's going to acknowledge how great they were but it's got a sting for them man because this was a golden opportunity you didn't have to play the argos and they probably underestimated this alouettes team and it showed in in the in the great cup and i mean credit to montreal but winnipeg and their fans have to be a little salty after the after the last two i guess now yeah it's uh <clears throat> i think it's something that has the possibility to really open up the landscape here of the CFL. If you're the Lions, I think you're licking your chops as, you know, coming into next year. There's no real top dog in the West anymore, especially after how Winnipeg really went out. That's wide open. I think from an Argos standpoint, the Alouettes just covered the ass of the Argos by winning this great cup because instead of people remembering like a historic collapse from this season of one of the best CFL regular season team, uh, best regular season teams of all time, they're kind of going to remember an absolute Cinderella story that this Alouettes team, you know, went on. And I think that that's going to be the story of this. And I'm still just at a loss for words, really. In general, I I saw this stat last night. 12 of the last 16 Grey Cups have been decided in the last three minutes. So the Grey Cup is something that always delivers. I think it's a great moment kind of in Canada. I think everybody kind of stops. Even people who don't really watch the CFL often will set up their TVs for the night and, you know, watch one CFL game a year and it's the Grey Cup. What do you think of Green Day? 
I loved it. I was going to more ask, ask you because you were you were yeah. in attendance uh, at the game. I I enjoyed the hell out of that concert. My my one only thing I would change is maybe don't play your new stuff. Like I know you're on I know you're on like a massive stage. It's probably big for your brand, but you're you're big enough Green Day where like especially because you're only playing four songs. Like, I thought that was interesting yeah. too because everybody I think in the first song was like very was waiting for it kind of it was very cool production value uh but then the last three songs ripped uh I was tweeting like they they ripped way harder than I thought they were going to uh I think everybody in the state like in the stadium loved it I thought it was hilarious as soon as all the lights went out like literally everyone in the crowd started sparking up joints uh very Canadian move there um but yeah I loved it I thought it was great I thought the entire Grey Cup kind of like festival as I saw it. I came in, you know, a few hours before the game and I it was packed to the brim. They had live music bumping and Tim Morton's field is really cool. It, it has the feel, I think, of a college stadium or what you see in the States because Hamilton's such a like low lying community around it. There's all these smaller houses and then out of nowhere, just this kind of cathedral of football pops up out of nowhere. You have the escarpment in the background with, you know, the lights on the hill so I, I my first time at uh, at Tim Hortons Field, I really enjoyed it. It was my third Grey Cup. Yeah, it was a great night. It it seemed like it. Green Day sounded great as well. Um, it's they were a, a great band to pick because like they're a little bit past their prime, but they're not old yet. So like they yeah. can still move, still perform. Everyone knows their songs except for the first one. <laughs> That I was just, the big thing, though. Everyone did know the song. Like, it was such a okay. perfect, like, for the crowd. Like, the, the last three songs, everyone was singing it. Everyone knew it. That part was great. Yeah, no, I do think it was a, a great halftime show. Um, I saw on CP24 this morning, people were complaining because it wasn't a Canadian band performing Yeah, at the people great do Cup. that every year. And then, like, you look back every year, it's never a Canadian band. Like, it's yeah. almost never a Canadian band. No, I, I, I kind of just want to tell those people, like, grow up a bit, because if you want to get national recognition for this game, you're going to have to go get a nationally recognized band. Sometimes that can be a Canadian. I like when Shania, Shania Twain, Twain did yeah, it. Yeah, like, the, and I think Nick, has Nickelback done one or am I making that? Or no, I that was the so. Heritage Classic. I don't know. Like, I think they might have. There's only so many Canadian bands and artists that I think you can choose from that would have the same, like star power as as a green day so yeah i don't know don't pay too much attention to that like just keep doing what you're doing i think this the cfl in general had a solid year yeah wrapping up thoughts i think that this is the best cfl season i've ever seen i followed it closer than anyone i ever have in the past but that really doesn't make the exception i think that top to bottom from start to finish this was such an insane season we started out with half the quarterbacks in the league going down to injury. That was the story of the start of the season. Then we had the story of comeback rookies like Dustin Crum coming into his spotlight. We had the breakout of Chad Kelly. The Argos have one of the best regular seasons of all time. And then like what better way to finish it off? Of course, this season gets finished with like an absolute stunner and a huge upset in the Grey Cup. Like there's there was no other way for this season to end. No, it was a great way to to put a bow on things for this season. And yeah, I, I'm just, I think a lot of people left that stadium just kind of shocked and stunned at what happened. And that's kind of how you want to leave like a championship game, right? Because you want to leave a lasting impression. Because like you said, like people turn the game on for CFL probably for one game and one game only, and it's the great cup. So when you like keep 
getting these great games. Like you said, what was it? 12 of the last 14? 12 of the last 16 decided in the the last three minutes. Boom. Like that's exactly what you're looking for in championship games. So they seem to have a good recipe here for getting these good matchups and putting on good events for the great cup. And yeah, like I said, just a great season. And it's sad that it has to come to an end, but I know I'm going to be waiting. Is it June yet? Like, I can't wait to see the first, is it June yet? Uh, tweet. I, I, I was thinking last night, you know, I went to the last, I covered the last Argos preseason game in Guelph. And that feels like an eon ago. Like I, I was standing in front of a Chad Kelly, you know, at, before all this happened, asking him about what he thought, you know, heading into the season. So it's really interesting to see top to bottom kind of, and yeah, just an overall fantastic season from the CFL. And I already like, can't wait for next year. Like I'm kind of bummed it's over now. No, I think it should pick up right where it left off because I think all the quarterbacks are kind of going to be staying at home you're going to get full seasons of of Trey Ford like guys like that like I think a lot of teams I think the West is going to be a lot more competitive next year than it was this past season yep and I mean hopefully the East like Hamilton just got to figure some things out uh, on their quarterback Ottawa too but no, I think the the CFL is in a good spot. You actually have star names at quarterback, which I feel like they've been struggling with uh, in past years. And yeah, like just continue this momentum CFL, and you'll be you'll be okay. Yeah, um, but now moving away from the CFL and the Grey Cup, back to the NFL to a Monday Night Football preview for the ages. We've got Eagles. At Chiefs, the 8-1 and Eagles taking on the 7-2 and Chiefs, both currently number one seeds in the NFC and AFC, respectfully. Only eight times have two Super Bowl teams met again in the following campaign. Most recently, the Pats and the Falcons. This one is a doozy, Patrick. Yeah, this is what you do it for. Uh, these Monday nights, like the Super Bowl rematch, it, it always Ooh. plays. It usually feels like that's the first game of the season sometimes, but I'm kind of happy they like waited it because or waited to have this game. Sorry, because like I said, these teams are picking up right where they left off. They're both top of their conferences. And uh, I don't like the, the, the like I said, like when you see these games, you usually have a, a feel or an or like a reaction be like oh I like this one like this one I I have no idea I think it's completely 50-50 and I think it's a bigger game for the Chiefs in a in a weird way than I do for the Eagles cuz it feels like the Eagles have a ton of breathing room out in the NFC and I mean you're on the road here against the Chiefs which is always a tough place to play it's probably going to be freezing in Kansas City tonight but like I, I think we kind of know what the Eagles are, and they will be probably in the NFC Championship. I think there's a lot more questions with this Chiefs roster right now. And I mean, Kelsey's traveling the world on his bye week. Uh, it seems like a lot of receivers on on the Chiefs like are struggling with catching balls and communication with Mahomes. So I'm very interested to see how the Chiefs come out after a bye week against like in a Super Bowl rematch. Yeah, it's it's a real interesting question of who really needs this one more. I, the Chiefs are catching two and a half. That a lot of that's probably the home doing the heavy lifting. Um, but it's interesting, like from a a mental standpoint, the Eagles you want to beat the Chiefs, right? Like two losses after the Super Bowl that w- I think mentally that would sting. But you're right, the Eagles have a lot of breathing room, and it's really the Chiefs who have to prove that they're a number one seed 
in that in the AFC right now, which is a weird thing to say about the Chiefs. But it's it's true, given the season that they've had so far, you know, they dropped that game to the Broncos. And I think ever since people have kind of been really waiting to to have a real output uh, of this dominant Chiefs team and really make everyone believe that they are the best team in the AFC. Uh, my second question is going to be, is this going to be like a points fest? These are two top 10 offenses, but it's a it's a primetime game with also two really stout defenses I, that I can't get a read on. I've been horrible on reading these as well. Um, I, I seem to think, you know, you have two like big brand names in the NFL. It should automatically result in points. But as we've seen this year, that has not been happening. And I would not be surprised if this was a bit of a the over-under set at 45 and a half right now. So I I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was like a 21-17 game and it kind of goes under and it's tight the whole way. Yeah. Another thing, I, I think the Eagles defense, and this might be a hot take, I don't know, isn't as good as we think. I think they have a good D-line. I think they have one of the better D-lines in the league. But outside of that, I, I think they have trouble covering people downfield a lot. And their middle linebackers aren't like, I don't know. They, there's something about the Eagles giving up points that has kind of consistently been happening. And, you know, a lot when you think the Eagles, though, you always think that they have a good defense, right? Because they have the big names on the defensive line. And I mean, Darius Slay is a great corner, but it seems like they've kind of consistently been giving up points week after week in the Chiefs. They're doing the opposite. Like they have, they're running through their defense right now and kind of saving Mahomes' ass a bit. I'm interested. I do think that will kind of like whoever's yeah. defense like shows up. That's going to be huge in this game. Yeah, I think that could really be the deciding factor. The Eagles have no Goddard. Remember, like he's gone, so it's another threat that is just out of that offense. And it's interesting because the Chiefs are four and one in games decided by fewer than 10 this year. The Eagles are five and one in games decided by a TD or less. But I think that Eagles stat is a bit misleading because I think that their defense has ended up getting them into, you know, closer games than they really need to. You think back to some of those commanders games and the Jets game like it's these are games that the Eagles defense is kind of letting these teams get back into the game. They end up winning because of the offense, but that's something that could really kill you against a team that does have a killer defense like the chiefs do this year. And, and it's unlike chiefs teams in the past that this is probably one of the better defenses they've had in what, like the past five years, which is kind of insane to say about the chiefs. Uh, I got a stat for you. Andy Reid, 31 and six off of buys. Yeah. I, I like that stat and that those stats are always the sign of a good head coach in the yeah. NFL. Like it's getting your guys ready, getting them in like in a, in a mindset where it's like, Hey, this isn't like a vacation, but this is a reset, get your mind right. And we got to come back and like get refocused, like keep it going, stay in that mindset. And that also kind of ma- helps me lean chiefs in this game. Honestly, I don't have a huge or like a great gut feel on this game, but at home, off a of bye, I I do think Andy Reid's a better coach than Nick Sirianni, and I think the Chiefs have a better defense, so I lean the Chiefs in this game. But yeah, when you were talking about um, the Eagles, it feels like they're putting up tons of points, but they're always in like these one-score games. It's so true because like Jalen Hurts is having an MVP caliber season. AJ Brown's one of the favorites for Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah, they're in these dogfights every week. It's like, how does this happen? It's like, yeah, okay, their defense is giving up points. So that was kind of like the 
I, I needed to hear that to confirm what I was thinking in my head. But yeah, I lean Chiefs in this game. I, I think it's going to be a battle. I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Eagles win it. Kind of playing middle of the road here a little bit. Got to <laughs> take a side. But yeah, I'll, I'll take the Chiefs with the points, but I don't feel amazing about it. I was listening to Sports Talk Radio last night and the, the guy goes, the NBA offseason courts, some of them I like, others I don't. <laughs> yeah, he's right. That's a great take. That's a great take. You can't argue with what he's saying there. It's a perfect middle of the road take. Um, but it is where a lot of people are kind of falling on this one. Back to that commander stat, the Eagles allowed 62 points to the commanders in two matchups this year, which is in insane stat given what the commander's season looks like right now. Um, and just the storylines are ripe in this one. I think that uh, if the Eagles win this game convincingly, it's a very like kind of narrative shifting thing. Then, then the Eagles really, I think, become the top dogs again in the NFC. I've seen 49ers kind of creep back into the conversation after some down weeks um, that they might be getting kind of counted out a bit here. Um, but I really don't have a, a huge read on this, but I think I would take the Eagles plus two and a half because it just seems like a, a game that's closer than that. No, you're right, and it's I this the fact that neither of us have uh, like a r- real good feel on this game kind of speaks to how good of a game it is and just the stakes. Like I do think whoever wins this game, I will have them power ranked at number one in the NFL after this, yeah. just because this will like if you want to go to college and resume, this will be the best win of the NFL season for whoever gets it. Um. But yeah, I love no, NFL I, resume time. I love that time of the year, man. Just get like an AP poll for the NFL, figure it out. That way it would help me out a bit. Like seeing seeing a 23 beside the commanders and like a like a 17 beside the Steelers, just so you know who like the frauds are, who's yeah. not. Don't go off records. Um but yeah, I'm gonna go Chiefs. And you know what? I since I like fun, I'm gonna take the over as well. And I really hope that like I hope. What I'm about to say is going to be really weird, but I hope the defenses and offensives show up. Like, I hope everyone's kind of running on full caliber, and it's just like you're seeing big hits, sacks, but you're also seeing big plays downfield. I don't know. I just feel like we haven't had great primetime games in the NFL this year. We haven't had a classic yet. They owe us one, do they yeah. not? Like yeah. this is this is one for the fans, and I'm hoping that we get some points. Well, the, the the one that I think of the most is Week One, like that Lions Chiefs game is the one that comes to mind. We haven't had a lot of classics kind of in prime time yet. The only real read I've had for an over in prime time is last week in that Ravens Bengals game. I think that that was the only one I felt confident that it was really going to go over. Um, but other than that. It's really kind of a toss up of whether primetime games go over or under now with the overwhelming majority of them going under and it's becoming kind of a chalky bet, but it makes sense. Uh, One more thing on this game broadcast wise, we've got the potential for a nightmare tonight. We've got we've got Joe Buck with possibly like full Taylor Swift treatment i i like that it's buck and aikman more than having Tariko and collinsworth i think that would have been like full nightmare mode but i don't know maybe aikman will help tone things down a bit i completely forgot this was the kelsey bowl oh I, yeah oh yeah kelsey that's... bowl and taylor swift's likely gonna be there yeah and i heard i saw something that like tra travis's parents are gonna meet taylor's parents as well they're gonna be in the box 
You're right, though. Perfect duo in the broadcast booth to kind of underplay it, I yeah. think, and just kind of not pay attention. Because you know Troy Aikman is there to watch football yeah. and sip on his whiskey. Like, that is all <laughs> he is there to do. And he is not letting any producers get in the way of, like, I'm sure no. there will be some shots, uh, but yeah. I think it's a lot going to be pregame, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like once this game starts, it might go more the Kelsey football on should Kelsey. be so good, yeah, that we really focus on that. I would yeah. love another take the dresses off moment. That was a real where were you moment. I still think about it pretty often. <laughs> he's been on he's been on a roll on on Monday nights, but I think he's going to be in a good mood tonight, especially with a game like this cuz yeah. he's just he's been fed up with some of the games he's had to watch and you know what? So are we, Troy. So yeah. are we. I would yeah, last last note on this. I think I would love this to be like this is a great game. Then this has really been a treat of a weekend. I think for football, like this would be a great way to wrap up an absolutely fantastic weekend of football. Yeah. And it's one of those weeks where you looked at it from, from like before it starts and you go, oh, did not look good. man. Yeah. You go, there's only a couple of good matchups. You go, oh, this one might be okay, but it, it gave us a lot of one score games and games that kind of came down to the wire and just, just chaos in general, really. And yeah, no, I, I think, the vibes are high for me in this game. I'm I'm taking the over and I, I feel good about it. Like I think that we're gonna get some good football. And of course, we're gonna be playing a, a beer league hockey game at 10 o'clock and and missing most of the second half. So of course, which is probably the bigger reason why we're doing a preview today rather than a recap tomorrow. Um, but after this, we will get to some Sunday cleanup from week eleven in the NFL and get you all caught up for Tuesday morning or Monday morning. And uh yeah, we'll be back after that. All right, we're back with a little Sunday cleanup from week 11 in the NFL. Last week, we barely previewed this week because it, as Patrick said, it was really kind of looked like a stinker, um, but it was a great slate, some really exciting games. Um, and I think we have to start with a team that we have been trashing on a lot, the Buffalo Bills. They get right against the New York Jets, 32 to 6, and kind of have the offensive output that we've all been waiting for. The game after Ken Dorsey gets fired. This was kind of, from a storyline's perspective, the perfect game from the Bills. Yeah, you kind of saw this coming a little bit. Like, it was was a must-win for the Bills. If you lose this, another division game, uh, you go below 500 if they lost, your season's probably done. And, like, McDermott now becomes on the hot seat, I would say, if they lost this one. Big time. But if you're losing to the Jets, like, that's you got some serious problems. And the Bills showed that they're still... In, in that playoff conversation, I still think that they are a playoff caliber team when they are executing, but they don't always execute. And that's always their biggest flaw, but they were executing on on everything in this Jets game. Josh Allen looked like a superhero out there again, uh, was just throwing and Shakira had that nice touchdown. I think it was like he came out. It was early in the third quarter. It was like Josh Allen last two pass attempts, both touchdowns. It's like, yeah, OK, we're getting yeah. into those Josh Allen stats again. Uh, but no, the Bills got right. They got really right. And now now it's like uh, the attention goes to the Jets. Like that is that is currently, I think, the biggest dumpster fire in the NFL. It's the first time that uh, Robert Sala, after the game, hasn't given a bullshit answer about whether he wants Zach Wilson as his quarterback. He finally said, we're going to look at the tape and make a decision. I think they might actually be done with him. Like Trevor Simeon might be starting the next game for the New York football jets, uh, which is insane to say. Um, But the bills spread the ball around six guys with more than one catch, no turnovers. 
kind of use the run game finally to open up the pass game and an uncharacteristic game from the Jets defense. Like this is finally that game that you're kind of waiting for after propping up this team week after week after week. The top's going to blow off eventually. It, it reminds me of the Titans last year, like how good the Titans defense was and how terrible week after week their offense was. And then eventually late in the season, the Titans defense just stopped being good because they were on the field the entirety of the game. And that's essentially what happened here. Like the the Jets have completely fallen out of like notoriety. They, they will fall out of prime time. Everyone will soon forget about the Jets this year. And it's almost like look ahead to the draft time for them like it it has been that way for a while but now you actually you're doing mock drafts you're doing everything if you're a fan for sure and you know going into their defense they like I feel bad because they are relied upon every single week like they are like you have to show up and you are based they are the only chance that the Jets have in these games and you know what they didn't show up today and or sorry on Sunday it's not the end of the world. I don't think I still think that unit as a, as a whole is, is one of the better in the NFL. I just think, you know, like you got the bills at a bad time because they're pissed off. They needed a win and they, they came through and executed. Like I said earlier, uh, Joe Brady, I, I don't know. He is the intern OC. I feel like they're just going to give it to him. Uh, after a game like this, the, the bills are just going to hire from within promote from within. And he's probably got that rolled down, but the jets like, Aaron Rodgers, do do not come back. Like, what what are you coming back for? They're gonna because I think he was eyeing like December second, which I believe oh, is no, week yeah. sixteen or something. It's outrageous, yeah. You're not gonna be in the playoff picture. What like what are you doing? What are you doing it for? Like, heal your Achilles properly, and you know, like get right, and like the the Jets will also get a better draft pick with you not playing. And I like Tim seeing Tim Boyle in the game was was just hilarious i i forget he's on rosters in the nfl but he i don't know like i think he looked better than zach wilson but you're right they they hate zach wilson i think that's the vibe uh did you see him like bump into salah and they like they like fell over each other on the sideline no oh god yeah, it's it's not it's a good a luck. It was it was the word like Thomas Morstead looked like maybe their best quarterback who was uh, their punter. It's like what is happening in the Jets? Like this isn't an NFL football team on offense. And I think that's four straight games they haven't got a touchdown now. It's like that is as that's they are the worst team in the NFL, I think yeah. offensively. Absolutely. I think that even other terrible offenses this year have shown much better games than the Jets have. It's just it's really mind boggling because this defense is good enough that if the offense was was capable uh, that the Jets would still be be in a playoff race and a playoff hunt uh, very aggressively. But one last thing about this game, I think that if the Bills find themselves in a wild card spot, who wants to play the Bills as a wild card team like that is not the matchup you want. And it's kind of a a spot that I think they would thrive in. Yeah, I like if you got the Bills future before this week, yeah, like that's a good bet to hold, I would say, because I, I do still think that the playoffs are a possibility for this Bills team. I think it's wide open, man. It's uphill. Like they have a very tough schedule. We talked about it last week, but like I said, it's it's also an opportunity to go like prove yourself as one of these elite teams, which I know they think they are. I think some of us have some doubts now, but it like you can still like the season's long. The season is still it's just over halfway. 
you're above 500 and you're going to play a lot of these like good teams that you would be competing for the Super Bowl against. And I mean, like, kind of like the Alouettes, man, like you're if you yeah. have to play out and like you're playing in meaningful football all the time, they're going to arrive to the playoffs if they make it completely battle tested. We get to it a bit later, but the Chargers dropped a huge one if we're talking about AFC playoff picture. Um, but we'll go next to the Texans, the hottest or most attractive team in football right now to watch uh, the CJ Stroud MVP race kind of took a hit. He he showed his first game where he kind of looked like a human being at quarterback. He threw three interceptions, but they managed to still win the game. It was an all-time cover by the cards, like five five and a half that they cover five at the end. Uh, and I think that that was the one game that kind of we circled and other people were circling as as a good dog to cover this weekend. But yeah, Stroud had a good quote after the game. Steph Curry doesn't ever stop shooting. So that's it. That's kind of the exact quote you want to hear from your quarterback. Yeah, you love to see like he's still got confidence. And I think it's kind of more of a testament to that. Like he's obviously probably the the like the heartbeat of this Texans team. But it shows that even when he's not at his highest level, this Texans team can still find ways to win games. And that's what they did uh, on Sunday. Uh, I, did you see the hit like the the sack like where like I I genuinely think that's a concussion and yeah. he was not the same after that hit. No. Um, the the Texans would love a bye week, I think, going after that game. But no, CJ Stroud was good. He kind of just took that hit, got up, and then made the first down on third and seventeen with like a a throw right to the sideline. So like CJ Stroud shows all the signs of like uh, the quarterback you want to lead your team for 15 years. And yeah, I mean, the Texans just can't stop winning games right now. Yeah. And they're, they're in a playoff spot. They're in the second wild card in the AFC. They've and doubled their win total from yeah. last season and have won three in a row for the first time since a nine game streak in 2018. They're just, they're building culture. It's like you, you look at how hard it is to build winning culture in the NFL and really change culture. And it seems like the Texans are doing that brick by brick with CJ Stroud. He's got 2,962 passing yards. That's the fourth most ever in a player's first 10 games. Join Joe Burrow as the only rookies in NFL history with 300 or more passing yards in three consecutive games. He's right where you want him to be, um, like on route to being a franchise quarterback. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. And I mean, since we're talking about the Texans building culture, they have a massive game next week. I don't want to look ahead too far. Like I don't want to go into the full preview, Oh man! but they are hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you want to do a guess the line? I know what it is. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Jags after kind of pumping the Titans. I'm gonna say Jags three and a half. Jags minus one. Oh, uh, wow. so they're they're seeing it's a big, it's wow. gonna be a tight game. The Texans beat them earlier this year. So if the Texans find a way to win this game, they will be leading the division. Which is that like, is think, insane. Yeah, like I no, I don't think anyone saw that coming. I think a lot of people saw. The Jags winning this division pretty easily with maybe the Titans being scrappy throughout the season, but that hasn't seemed to uh, come to fruition. The Colts are like hanging around. They're 500, but this Texans team, man, they're taking that step up into like this 
Like that, it's right in front of them, man. Yeah, they're December. It is right in front of them now. They play five games in December, which is an absolute slug. Um, But they got the Broncos, the Jets, the Titans, the Browns, the Titans. So you got two games left against the Titans and the Broncos and the Jets. Like they could go four and one in that stretch. And then all of a sudden we're looking at a team that could possibly have 10, 11 wins, man. Like at that time, this if the Houston Texans make the playoffs and Stroud continues at this rate, then then we're back talking about MVP very seriously. Absolutely. And I know he threw uh, three interceptions, but he still only has five on the year. That's still a very reasonable number. And like you said, he got over 300 passing yards, two touchdowns. So like the stats weren't great, but they were good enough for him to get the win. And like it just keeps adding to his resume. And I mean, if you think that the Texans can beat the Jaguars next week, why not just sprinkle them to win the division at plus 225? I think that's like nice value. You'll instantly get a better cash out option if they win the game. But yeah, I, I genuinely think the Texans have a realistic shot at winning this division, even if they like lose that game to Jacksonville, because that remaining schedule is... It's right there. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a great thing to keep an eye on. Um, but moving to the NFC... There's a game where it always stuns me how great Vegas is. The Rams were one-point favorites for most of the week. It ended up moving to two and a half, I think, very late um, because the entire world ended up being on the Rams. But they go out and beat the Seahawks 17 to 16. Like it, it, This is a game that seemingly everybody saw coming, and it happened exactly how they thought it was going to happen. Um, Seattle defense did have a good game. Like they, they didn't have a terrible game, but... It was kind of just one thing after another. Geno Smith gets destroyed by Aaron Donald and has to go out of the game. Um, and Drew Locke ends up coming in and throwing a pick. Like, it, that was bad game management. If you're a backup quarterback, you kind of can't shoot your team in the foot uh, if you're coming in in that spot. But Seattle drops a big one. Like, for Seattle, and talk about narrative, this was one they had to win. Yeah, and... and- the way they did it was heartbreaking fashion. I mean, Drew Locke, like you said, like coming in, you, you go, let's just hand the ball off, Drew. Like, let's let's get out of here with no damage. And he does the last thing he could have and throws the interception. And then, like, I thought the game was kind of done once the Rams kicked that field goal. But no, like, Geno put a drive together. They got down into field goal range. Like, you're, you know, you're, you're sitting on the edge of your seat, 55-yarder, and Jason Myers that that kick never had a chance right off his foot. I was like, oh, okay, that's 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 tough. So, yeah, that's a heartbreaking loss in the division for the Seahawks, especially when like you, you wanted to keep pace with the Niners. I I don't know if they were can win this division, but you want to keep pace with them, and they didn't. I I don't know what I come out of here thinking more. Where I'm like, are the Seahawks? like bad are the Rams not as bad as I thought I I don't know this is a weird game I think I'm just gonna chalk it up as a as a division battle um but that's a big win for the Rams and the Rams are just so much better when Stafford's playing yeah it's they they need to find a backup because he doesn't have much longer but the Rams are a half decent team with Matthew Stafford at quarterback yeah that's essentially the story of this one and I, I think it's been the story of the Rams season when when Stafford's on and he has been for the majority of the time uh, if you've been, you know, Dan Orlovsky loves talking about it, but he is kind of the heartbeat of that team. And he's the only reason that they're having the season kind of that they are him, Puka Nakua, of course. Um, but in terms of the NFC wildcard race, 
Seahawks are still in a good spot. Like they're second in the, in the wild card right now, right behind Dallas. Um, but with the Vikings right behind them, they don't have a lot of teams that are, I think going to threaten them to take them out of that spot, which is something that's kind of comfortable. If you're a Seahawks fan, like it's the Packers, the Rams, the Falcons and the Bucks on the outside of the NFC wildcard picture. I don't think anybody really sees them as stirring anything up there. No, life life must be so nice in the NFC. Like it's ridiculous. The the Vikings, like you said, um, they're six and five holding down that last wildcard spot. Seahawks in the middle at six and four. Then and then the team just outside is below five hundred. It's insane. Like you have like three, four games in hand on them with with only like five, six, seven weeks to go in the season. So it would be a monumental collapse if the Seahawks don't make the playoffs. Uh, I mean, this game, that game right here could come back to bite them because the Rams are one of those teams that are four and six. Just wouldn't on the that outside. be crazy? Like, like yeah, because you kind of think it's a nothing game. Obviously, it's not a nothing game with inside the division. But you go, okay, Seattle will be all right. But then you know you fast forward to week 17, 18. It's like, oh my god, the Rams have the tiebreaker over the Seahawks. They're a game behind. How'd we get here? Yeah, exactly. Week 11 is how we got there. But exactly. Um, yeah, big win for the Rams. Big win for the Rams. Um, but we'll move back to the AFC, uh, kind of. Um, but with a stunner as the Green Bay Packers stun the Los Angeles Chargers 23 to 20. And the Chargers cannot stop shooting themselves in the foot. They are now fourth in the AFC West, Patrick. They are behind the Las Vegas Raiders right now. They're four and six. Yeah. Chargers. Chargers are down bad right now. Uh, did you see the, the clip of Eckler running on that run where he like kind of broke away? It was like 30 plus yard run. No, I didn't. Dude, he looked like the slowest player in the league. And I watch Najee Harris play on a weekly basis. He like, it's a problem, man. It like good move by the yeah. Chargers, probably not signing him to a long-term contract. Cause I think he's very touchdown and uh, reception reliant as a running back. I, I, the Chargers, this is this is stunning to me. This is stunning, and I don't, I like, I know you, you are on the boat of like why we coddle Justin Herbert so much. I don't think I put this game on him whatsoever. Like he ran the ball for seventy three yards, threw for two hundred sixty and two touchdowns. If Quentin Johnson had any sort of hands, they can. They probably win this game, or at yep. least it's going overtime. They keep I'd inventing see. new ways to lose. I, I just saw the Eckler clip. That's insane. Uh, the title of the clip is Austin Eckler moving like a fullback with a question mark on the end. Um, and that's exactly what he looked like. Uh, but the Chargers offense, man, like you, you talk about maybe let's compare a year ago to now. Like, what is the identity of this offense? We like nobody knows anymore. They lose another close one, like five of their six losses have been decided by a combined 14 points they just can't win a big game they can't win a close game Joey Bosa gets carted off like this was a absolute nightmare game and could be a write-off for the rest of the season for the Chargers oh their season's over yeah their season is so far over and if if you want to know the identity of this team it's just throw it to Keenan Allen as yeah. much as possible that Pretty is much. their offense they actually like ran Eckler 10 times for 64 yards. Like he actually had a decent game, except for that fumble. That fumble came at the worst possible yeah. time. Ugh. Second and goal from like the four. Can't and you, happen. You just, you just fumble. Like, like you said, you, you, you walk away with a field goal there. You're going overtime. 
Yeah. Quinn Johnson catches a ball. Like it's it's the mistakes this Chargers team just consistently makes. And listen, this this has to be the time, Damien. Staley's got to go. Like we have to. Brandon be right about Staley, this now. you are fired. It's insane. It's like they're punting the season now. Like if you really want to send a shock and a message to this team, like do it now. Like it, it fires Staley, man. You can't. You can't win a close game to save your life. Like, what else are you doing as a coach? Uh, not much, and especially when like defense is his forte. They seem to kind of give up points every single week. the The Bosa injury is is the backbreaker here because yeah. like he's one of your actual players on defense, and that he's definitely done for the season. Because like to see him like crying like that, showing emotion that he never shows emotion. So that was shocking yeah. to me. But going to the Packers, man, I. I don't know if I'm gullible or or what, but I'm starting to buy in on Jordan Love quietly. I think our Packers and Raiders takes have aged quite nicely at this point in the season. They went through some really, really tough times, but they've now come back around the circle. Jordan Love does. He looked great, like 322 yards. You cannot shake your head at and. The Green Bay Packers, like they're just trying to find anything right now in this season. Like if you can come out of this season with a productive year for Jordan Love that you then can feel confident in like building around him in the draft and trying to do the most for this offense. I think that it was a really positive day for the Green Bay Packers in a a year where they really haven't had a lot of positive days. Like it was they spread the ball around a ton. They rushed a ton like there's almost fucking 15 receivers on this receiving list. Uh, and, and they got it done by committee, which is like th- they had a game plan and they followed it. And all these receivers are first and like second year players pretty much. Yep. Like the Packers are kind of quietly building something in the NFC. I think like it's, I think, you know, we look at Houston and they just immediately do it. And that kind of sets unrealistic expectations for a lot of these teams. But I think for what the Packers are, and where they are in their like careers and just everything else, like they're in an okay spot and they're having yeah. a decent year. I don't know if Jordan loves like a surefire thing, but I, he's especially these past two weeks, he's shown enough where like he should be the starting quarterback next season with this team and just keep building that chemistry with these young receivers. You add a couple of pieces on the back end, like Jerry Alexander's been out injured. Like that's a huge piece on, on at corner for them. I don't know. I, I would just have an eye, eye on, on this Packers team in the future. I, I think they're decent. Yeah, keep an eye on it. Um, but we'll move within the NFC. Detroit avoids disaster and comes out 31-26 against the Chicago Bears. They were down 26-14 to extremely late in this game, um, but come back to score two touchdowns. Aiden Hutchison gets a turnover, and they are off to their first 8-2 and start since 1962. And the Lions, like a, that would have been a disastrous loss. And I, I thought it was going to happen. It, it definitely had like that recipe, like Justin Fields first game back division game. Goff can't stop throwing interceptions. Oh, my God. Yeah. Three interceptions. He might have taken his name out of the MVP race with that one. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they found a way to win and they deserve credit for that. Like that's the sign of a good team that like you didn't blow this lead, even though or you didn't blow this game. Sorry, they never really had a lead until the end but like you can't let the bears beat you in a game like this drop to seven and three because like i didn't really you don't really think about it but now the lines are eight and two the eagles lose tonight like 
you have the best record right in the there, NFC. Man. It's like that, that buy is huge and they're right in the conversation to get it. And I mean, I'm on the same insane, man. Detroit Lions with a buy into the playoffs would be fucking unheard of. Well, yeah, it just doesn't. Th- this season doesn't feel real. No. I like in my head, whenever I think of the Lions, I still in my head, I picture them at like kind of where the Bills are, like six and five. You're yeah. scrappy. You're in games. But no, they're they eight and two and they just can't stop winning. And it, it, in a weird way, I guess the defense kind of did win them the game for this because golf was the one like putting the Bears in good uh, field position to get these points. And then, yeah. like you said, Hutchinson in the clutch, Huge got the turnover. Man. Yeah, I, I, that's a huge win for the Lions, and I think it's something that like you can rally around and just keep building off of. I I agree. It's it's a big day for Detroit. It's a big week for Detroit. But yeah, got to keep building here, and and getting a a buy would be absolutely momentous for their chances in the playoffs. Um, but wrapping things up now, the Sunday nighter last night, the Broncos squeeze out an ugly one against the Minnesota Vikings, twenty one to twenty. And after going one in five to start the season, the Broncos are now five in five. Is Russ and the Broncos back? It's it's a question I've been asking myself, and I don't have an answer. I I, I don't. Um, because watching the game, Russ looked kind of the same like he does last year. Like yeah. a lot of these catches, like Cortland Sutton one handed catch on that drive going down there, like that was that was on a third down, like. That's an insane play he made for his quarterback. They kind of they're running the ball a lot more. Like P Ryan is a great receiving back. They're mixing in three running backs, and they're carrying a lot of the load for this team. But Russ is is getting it done. And Good enough, yeah, credit to him. Like I kind of wrote him off, but he ain't right back. And I mean that that was quietly the battle of like the two hottest teams in the NFL last night. Very quietly. And and we were waiting. We talked about kind of the, the let down Josh Dobbs game likely coming sometime soon. Um, this kind of wasn't really that like it, it, it was an interesting game. He went two twenty one, um, one passing TD, one interception, and then one rushing TD. He did enough. Um, but the Vikings really shot themselves in the foot this game. This was a game that they could have won. And it would have been huge for them to win. Like they would have gone to seven and four in the NFC rather than being six and five now. Uh, And that would have been another real like turnaround story. But instead, we're talking about the Denver Broncos like they they rallied to end a five game winning streak that the Vikings had going. And that's not an easy thing to do in the NFL. I think being at home really helped them. Uh, And, you know, they get a huge road win last week and then a huge home win this week. Not much more you could ask for. No, uh, the Broncos are, uh, yeah, probably the hottest team in the NFL right now. Probably, I think, yeah. Like, off just I guess. quick scanning. Yeah. Uh, maybe the maybe Lions, Houston. I guess. Yeah, maybe Houston. Houston, yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good one. Um, but no, they're they're getting it done. Like, running back by committee, It the stats don't look great now that no, I'm looking at them. they don't. I'm looking but, at them, too. They had an impact. I yeah. think a lot of it was in the receiving game. I think he was throwing a lot of, like, bubble screens to them and, I mean, P. Ryan on that last drive, we were talking about it earlier, like four receptions for 40 yards when he needs them the most. And then what a catch by Cortland Sun, who's just been a yeah. touchdown machine this year. That's eight on the season for him. I think that was the lasting impression was really that last drive, 75 yards and 10 plays in two minutes and 14 seconds to win that game like that. That's something that good teams do. It's something good quarterbacks do. And they went out and did it. Yeah, my, my one like, 
thing with the Broncos and why I'm not giving them the credit they probably deserve right now. They just kicked five field goals, yeah. and then like like it's it's kind of like watching the Steelers, man. It's the box like, score like, is ugly. Yeah, it's it's not a great team to watch, but they're finding ways to win now. And I mean, like it's clearly like Sean Payton has his fingerprints all over this team. And I mean, it, it wasn't working at the beginning, but they got this thing rolling right now. And I mean. I wouldn't be shocked if they made the playoffs. Like it's a like you said, it's a weak division, and you, you take advantage of those games. Like they've got, they, they've got an interesting schedule coming up. They got a real test next week against the Browns on the road. That's going to be a nightmare game for their defense, and, and really kind of a, a game that the Browns are salivating for right now in that division. I think. Um, and then in December they go Texans, Chargers, Lions, Patriots, Chargers. So. Games that they will have a shot in, really, other than that Lions game, I think they will have a real shot in a lot of those games. So the Broncos as a team to watch. And I got a fun fact for you. They're favored against the Browns. Wow. Yeah, by a point. Oh, God. And, and that's the spot that you want. Quick Cleveland quick look ahead to next too. week, like not to preview. Yeah. Um, there is one, two, three, four, five games that have one point spreads. Woo. And then a couple with like two, three and a half. Like it looks oh, like there's going to be a lot of battles next week. That is just gorgeous. And we got Thanksgiving Day games coming up this week. We'll preview those for you. But there's nothing better as a Canadian to be able to watch football in the middle of like a work day. Uh, it's pretty huge. Um, little show note, right? As we get to the end of this here tomorrow, I start with North Star bets, which means going forward on the show, we won't be able to talk about spreads and really get in depth on gambling a lot of you know fine print a lot of stuff that kind of i don't even understand yet um but we'll keep you updated on that going forward uh we know people like the gambling aspect of this show but we'll still be giving you the leans on these games and who we like just a little less uh gambling jargon i would say probably yeah we'll mix in the al michaels chris berman like exactly. taboo gambling lingo that they've always been using for like what 40 years pretty much now yeah. so like there's ways around it so don't think it's like we're not gonna like talk about what we like and blah 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 but yeah i mean it just won't be as direct as it is and i mean it's it's an opportunity for you that like it's it's worth kind of like Work your way around, like not talking about it. So yeah, yeah it's it's all good. Yeah, but uh, that'll do it for this week at the goalpost. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Get out there and watch some football tonight. But until next week, Patrick. See ya. See ya, Damien. Welcome to the jungle where the cat loves to scratch the bat squills and the polar bear feast on the blubber of seals. The pack of wolves be scheming on a bunch of gazelles where the leopards grab the wildebeest down by his tail. You see the chimps, they grow hips, they hustle with slinging trees. Elephants for security that move tons of leaves. The bluebirds are best parrots that love to talk of eagles to stalk. Freshwater trout under the wing of the hawk. 